from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you making Washington Watch part of your day. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, despite a growing chorus of opposition from conservative Republicans, President Biden remains confident he will get his debt ceiling increase. Now, we're going to deal with the debt ceiling. We got, we got, I think things are going as planned, God willing. I'll, have, I'll be landing in Colorado tonight, and God willing, by the time I land, the Congress will have acted, the House will have acted, and we'll be one step closer. Republican leadership in the House believes they will have the votes needed to approve the so-called Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023. We'll talk a little later with one of the chief negotiators of the deal, Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves. We'll also talk with one of the leading opponents of the compromise, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, joins me. And uh, the question is, where is the uh, $6 trillion-plus going? You know, that's a question we ought to ask, given the fact that we've been sending money to countries like China for gender equality and even to purchase military software. But that's not all. Millions uh, also went to Russia to fund a lab for cats to run on a treadmill. Really, they need more of our money? Kansas Senator Roger Marshall will join me for that conversation in just a moment. And yesterday, House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer stated that the failure of the FBI to comply with a subpoena, which they have requested unclassified documents to be turned over to Congress related to then-Vice President Biden's influence peddling. This, as uh, Congressman Comer says, could trigger contempt of Congress hearings for the FBI Director Christopher Wray. We're already in the process of drafting legislation to hold an oversight committee markup next week to uh, hold FBI Director Wray in contempt of Congress. That was Chairman Comer on Fox News last night. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And finally, as June begins, will corporations think twice about being in the face of their customers with their corporate pride celebrations? Now, have woke corporate CEOs learned anything from the unprecedented and costly pushback against Bud Light and Target? We're going to talk about that with Steve Sokup, vice president and publisher of the Political Forum and author of The Dictatorship of Woke Capital. Uh, Political correctness captured big business. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And Mordecai told them to tell Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows? whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This well-known passage, Mordecai tells Esther she must appeal to the king to save the Jewish people. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace. You know, this is the mindset of too many Christians today. Oh, it's not going to affect me or my family. Not only is this a selfish and short-sighted view, but as Mordecai also points out, failing to act when when we have the ability to do so may mean that we lose the opportunity to be used by God. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. The debt ceiling agreement House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reached with President Biden passed its first major hurdle last night, narrowly advancing past the House Rules Committee and setting the stage for a vote on the House floor this evening. As leadership in both parties work to whip the vote, In support of the bill, many Republicans are speaking out against the measure, which establishes emergency COVID spending levels as the new baseline for the federal budget. Join me now to discuss this and more. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, he serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Budget Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Senator Marshall, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Tony, it's great to be with you, and, and my grandma's name was Esther, so this, this Bible verse for such a time as this means so much to me, and certainly has been a theme as we, when we were deciding to run for Congress or not, that for such a time as this, you and I, your listeners, we've been called to stand up and be accountable. Well, certainly you've responded to that call, leaving the medical practice as a uh, doctor 
uh, having delivered over 5,000 babies, having a, a profession in which you were embraced by your uh, your patients now in Congress dealing with some very frustrating issues, one of those being government spending. You have been outspoken in your opposition to this spending deal. Why? Well, Tony, I, again, I think you kind of set this up. Pre-COVID, we were spending about $4.5 trillion per year, and now we're at $6.5 trillion per year. So they want to make this the new baseline. At the end of the day, this country is $31 trillion in debt. $31 trillion in debt. We're spending $500, $600 billion a year in interest alone. This is unsustainable. This is the greatest threat to our country's national security, to the future of my grandchildren, to schools, to roads and bridges. Uh, this is just something that we cannot keep kicking down the road. This is a time for us to stand up. I want to point out, I don't blame uh, Speaker McCarthy. I think he negotiated the best he could. Remember, America gave him one of three levers when it comes to the appropriation process. Americans gave us President Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer to lead the Senate. And they, they, they govern like they're part of this European Green Socialist Party. They don't govern like they're moderates. Uh, so I hope America remembers this come the next election. Uh, Kevin did the best job he could, but I'm not satisfied. I cannot put my name on this legislation. You know, you were in the House before you came over to the Senate, and they're coming out of the Speaker's election in January. We saw unprecedented unity in the Republican conference up to this point. I mean, we've seen a lot of good things happen in the House, and you know how how uh, how many fractures, uh, fractions, uh, fractures, fractures in the <laughs> unity that we saw. I'll get that out here in a moment. During your time in the House, is this putting at risk the? I mean, we we saw this even in the Senate. The Senate Republicans came together behind the negotiations to try to get a conservative deal negotiated. Um, does this put Republican unity at risk? Well, Tony, I think that's a, a great question. Uh, we're a family, just like your family, our families have disputes as well. We'll have disputes, but at the end of the day, we still love each other. We know that for the good of the team, we've got to come back together so we can disagree on this. Again, I think we're just between a rock and a hard place here. I think Kevin negotiated the best he could in good faith, but I blame the people of Pennsylvania, the people of, of Georgia and Arizona and, and Nevada that they didn't give us a Senate Republican majority. I blame uh, the people uh, who elected uh, the, for the current president as, as well. So I, I understand your point. We'll come together when this is over, but we're going to have a disagreement and it's going to be pretty loud here for a couple of days. Well, I do hope that that unity can be preserved, but I want to go on to some of the specifics that you've been pointing to about where our money has been going to. I mean, you did um, a deep dive into the COVID, the, 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 the coronavirus and where it came from, tracking it back to the Chinese lab. We're sending money to these people who are working, I mean, not only to China, but to Russia, countries that are working uh, in, in many ways to oppose and even undermine America. Right, Tony, it makes no sense. You know, fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me that we would allow uh, this to, to continue. So the, I think that the preponderance of evidence shows that the COVID virus was made and released accidentally from a lab in Wuhan, China, funded with American tax dollars uh, in that research, and we're still funding that Wuhan lab. Appreciate Senator Ernst and Congressman Gallagher for pointing out uh, they've discovered a, a total of $1.3 billion that have been sent to Russia and China to do similar type of research as well. Couldn't be more frustrating. There's better things to do with this money. This would be the equivalent of funding Iran with nuclear research, saying that, oh, we're going to do a nuclear power research, but in reality, we know they're going to end up with nuclear bombs as, as well. Uh, so the story continues. You can't make this stuff up. Given the fact that we now have a new baseline of federal spending, an additional $2 trillion, and I know we, we get lost in all of these zeros, that's a lot of money. When we go back to, you know, $4.5 trillion prior to COVID, now to six point three. that's a lot of money, and it's funding a lot of these programs. It's funding a lot of woke policies. I mean, look at what it's done to our military. You've been very outspoken about that. Is any of that being clawed back, reining in the liberal agenda of the Biden administration? 
Well, Tony, unfortunately, no. All this legislation does is slow down the increase. So the increase wouldn't be as big as what Joe Biden would want it. So he wanted to, he wanted current levels plus something. This slows it down a little bit, but I think it's insignificant as far as a, a slowdown. Um, and, and you're right. Again, this is the president that's governing like he's part of this woke Green Socialist Party. Um, science be darned. Uh, they're going to do it their way. They're going to have uh, energy that's expensive, that's uh, that's not affordable, that it's not reliable, let alone these woke policies. I'll be on the floor here in a second with Coach Tuberville fighting the uh, the Department of Defense and their abortion policies as well. And kudos to Coach Tuberville for leading this, this fight. You're absolutely right. And thank you for backing him. Of course, I know you're one of the strongest uh, pro-life voices in the, the, the Senate. But that's another example of where the Department of Defense is taking our tax dollars and going from what was about 20 abortions a year in our military to projecting of 4,000. That's tax dollars that's supporting that. Right. It's tax dollars. And by the way, it's against the law. Uh, the Hyde Amendment is something you and I have been fighting for to protect for dec- for probably a decade now. The years go by quickly. So we think this is a violation of the Hyde Amendment. It would use tax fa- tax uh, fund, taxpayer funds to fund abortions for our military. You know, the, what's interesting to me is the Department of Defense picked this fight. They didn't yeah. have to pick the fight, um, but they, they took a law that, that said this is not possible, that it's unlawful, and used a rule just to, uh, to trump that, if you will. So it's pretty frustrating. We have have a White House that ignores laws and just wants to make up his own. Does it not show you how committed this administration is to the leftist agenda of abortion, of radical human sexuality, redefining human beings? I mean, that's what they're, they're committed to. And they're not they're not afraid to push the envelope to accomplish their agenda. Right, Tony. And I, I wish you were understating it. Uh, but but you're not. I think you you, you go back to well, why do we have 10,000 people being apprehended at the border every day? It's because Joe Biden wants that. He wants people watching that problem. Meanwhile, he's attacking our civil liberties, our religious uh, rights as well. Uh, it, it couldn't be more frustrating up here for me to watch this as, as we did a memorial a ceremony yesterday, or two days ago, rather, at Fort Riley, standing over the graves of 4,700 soldiers from the big uh, Red One Division, uh, just w- w- that they died for our liberties. And here we have a president that wants to take away those civil liberties with a dis- disregard for the constitutions and the law of the land. Well, we appreciate you fighting the good fight and, uh, and raising these issues and fighting them on the Senate floor and elsewhere. Senator Roger Marshall, always great to see you. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming on today. Thank you, Tony. All right, Senator Roger Marshall, be sure and pray for him and others like uh, Coach Tuberville. In fact, as they said, they're going down to the floor now to, uh, to stand with Coach Tuberville as he is trying to uh, rein the military in when it comes to promoting abortion within the ranks. As he said, it's not only against the law, taking your tax dollars and using them to pay for, facilitate, I should say, abortion. But is that what our military should be about? This, again, underscores the fact that elections have consequences. By the way, Today is the last day for the early bird discount for this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. That'll be September the 15th through the 17th in Washington, D.C. Make your plans now to join us. That's September 15th through the 17th. All right, don't go away. On the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus to talk about this debt ceiling deal. That's next. Don't go away. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. 
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I think I forgot to give you the website for the Prevote Stand Summit coming up September the 15th through the 17th. It's prevotestand.org, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. That's prevotestand.org. Today's the last day for the early bird registration, so if you're a conservative, you're going to sign up now. With the debt ceiling negotiations dominating headlines, some may overlook the ongoing congressional investigation into the Biden family corruption. Earlier this afternoon, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer spoke by phone with FBI Director Christopher Wray as his committee considers holding Wray in contempt of Congress for suppressing a document said to detail a $5 million bribery allegation against then-Vice President Biden. Joining me now to discuss this, as well as the latest on the debt ceiling agreement, is Congressman Scott Perry. He serves on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, among other committees. He's also the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. He represents Pennsylvania's 4th Congressional District. Congressman Perry, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you. Great to see you, Tony. A lot happening in Washington today, as you as you outlined. Where do you want to start? Uh, well, let's, let's, let's hit. Yeah, let's hit the FBI real quick. And what's the latest? What do we know? Well, look, this is what we know. They have a document. uh, It's confirmed. It's called a 1032, I believe, which outlines a credible claim of uh, criminal activity by the then Vice President Joe Biden involving a a bribe for a large sum of money. We know the document exists. Uh, However, the uh, director of the FBI will not produce it and has said he will not produce it even under subpoena. It is not a classified document, but he is citing, I think, sources and methods. Uh, And I would just say this. Look, this document uh, belongs to the people of the United States of America. The FBI uh, works for the people of the United States of America, not the other way around. This is not their document. This is not the director's document. This is a document that that alludes to some credible claim uh, that may or may not be truthful, and we need to understand exactly who made the claim, what the circumstances are regarding the claim. We need to understand what the Bureau of Fed- the Federal Bureau of Investigation has done in regard to this credible claim. Have they investigated it? What have they determined? If they haven't investigated it, why haven't they investigated We need to know all of those things. And and apparently the FBI is going to be recalcitrant and not produce it. So we're talking about contempt of Congress, which unfortunately is a, is a remedy really lacking in accountability 
Um, but it's it's essentially one of the only remedies we have. At some point, I imagine there's a potential to refer criminal charges. But once again, we're dependent upon the very judicial system as the FBI is a component of that to to police itself. No pun intended. So, um, w- you know, we hope we're not in an impasse here and that we can and that all the American people can see what's wow. happening here so that we can know. Uh, and not have any reservations about the president of the United States of America. I mean, I, I certainly think it shows the lawlessness of this administration that uh, the FBI director, the chief law enforcement officer, would thumb his nose at Congress' request for information. Now, this wouldn't be the first time we had to Eric Holder, yeah. the attorney general under the Obama administration, was held in contempt of Congress. And, of course, that didn't lead to anything. As you've pointed out, it's it's kind of without remedy Although, you know, the if they do come onto the House property, you could have the sergeant of arms detain them and you have a cell there in the Capitol. You could put him in the Hooskow. Well, and, and look, um, these are unprecedented actions and under, unprecedented actions require un, un, unprecedented remedies. And so I'm certainly not uh, thinking that we should be beyond that consideration. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting into the time where we will appropriate money. And if the FBI can't be bothered to uh, be respectful to the representatives of the people and look, if they don't want to give it to uh, the legislative branch because they belong in the, you know, because they reside in the executive branch. OK, well, then give it to the American people. But the point is, it's not yours to keep right. forever and, uh, and and not let the, the, the power of oversight uh, view it and right. and and take its course. So, look, if, if uh, the director needs to be thrown in the brig here in in the Capitol, then that that's what needs to be well, ha- that's what it, needs to be happening. Like you said, unprecedented uh, times call for unprecedented action. All right, I, I want to move on to the debt sure. spending uh, bill. I want to play a clip from the minority leader Hakeem Jeffries earlier today. Clip number five. President Biden did an incredibly good job under difficult circumstances in protecting some key priorities and values for the well-being of the American people. What else do you need to know? (laughs) Look, we are obviously very sorely disappointed in this arrangement at this point. Um, As was our concern, the House passed a reasonable, responsible bill. We, We we decided we would uh, rightfully pay for the debts that others had created that we disagreed with, but they're still the debts of the United States of America. We would pay for them, and but at the same time demand uh, a change in our spending habits so that we don't find ourselves continually in this position. And uh, it was the only bill passed here. The Senate never passed anything, yet we sought to negotiate. And I'm not beyond negotiation, but we got to be very we should have been very careful. And, and unfortunately, I think what happened is we, we negotiated against our own position because it was the only position available. The Senate took up nothing. The Senate didn't come to work. The Senate didn't write a bill. The Senate passed nothing. Yet the Biden administration, Democrats in the Senate and otherwise, negotiated from a position as, as though they had passed something. They said, well, we want to increase taxes, but they never voted on that because it can't pass. They said, we want a clean debt ceiling raise, but they never voted on one because it couldn't pass yet. We sought to sit down, not me, but our leadership decided to sit down and, and enter into negotiations with this folk. Uh, ostensibly, I think, for the good of the country, nobody wants to default. But unfortunately, this bill, I think, is very, um, is very favorable to the Democrats, essentially, for two years now, without any limits whatsoever, the Republican Party has just agreed to underwrite the spending, all the spending at at, at an unlimited level right. of the Joe Biden, the remainder for of the Joe years. Biden term. So and, uh, that's not something I can support, nor do I think that we, any of us should support. Uh, we're up against a break. We're going to have to leave it there. But one final yeah. question for you very quickly. Are the votes there to pass it? I suspect you're going to see a lot of Democrat votes passing this. Yes, I think the votes are going to be, unfortunately, there. We tried to take down the rule. We were not successful, so I suspect this is going to pass the House. We'll see what happens in the Senate. All right. Congressman Scott Perry, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless you. Thank you. 
All right, folks, stick with us on the other side of the break. One of the congressmen who negotiated the debt ceiling deal joins us. Don't go away. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, we continue discussing the debt ceiling agreement that the House is scheduled to vote on this evening. Now, you've heard the concerns from conservative members opposing the bill, but in fairness, I want you to hear from those. I want you to hear from those who actually brokered the deal with the White House. The lead Republican negotiators were Congressman Patrick McHenry from North Carolina and Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves. Congressman Graves, who represents the 6th Congressional District of Louisiana and happens to be my congressman, joins us now. Garrett, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks, Tony. Great to be with you again. I know you've been busy. Uh, We've spoken a few times. We've texted back and forth. But so let me just bottom line, why is this a good deal for the American people? Well, so look, I think it's important to keep in mind that we still have a Democrat majority in the United States Senate with uh, Senator Schumer in charge. We still have a Democrat president with President Biden. And so we can all talk about the best sort of imaginary deal that that we can think of, but you've got to be realistic and say, what is the best option that's actually on the table? And that's the one that's before us today, which happens to be the greatest spending reduction in American history, the greatest savings in American history, the greatest rescission of funds from federal agencies in American history, stopping the hiring of IRS agents, uh, putting stronger work requirements in place for welfare, uh, making the most transformative environmental and permitting streamlining in over 40 years. So, so look, we can talk about wanting to save $10 gazillion here or stripping all federal agencies and shutting them down tomorrow, which, you know, I'd probably be in favor of, but it's not a viable option, something that, that President Biden would sign into law. So this is clearly a historic opportunity, and it is the best option that's on the table today. Now, uh, Congressman Graves, we've known each other for a long time. I know you're a conservative, so this is not an issue of questioning your conservative credentials, but I I wanted, let's talk specifics on the numbers. One of the concerns we've heard, and in fact, frankly, one of the concerns I have is this establishes post-COVID spending as the baseline going forward. I mean, this is an increase from the 4.4 trillion in 2019 to the 6.3 trillion this year. Now, as I understand, this deal will trim 100 billion dollars off, giving us a 6.3 trillion budget next year. Is that an accurate read of the numbers? 
So, so actually, we are going to see a decrease in spending from last year. We actually have two different scenarios that are charted moving forward. One of them is it would allow for a 1% increase in spending off of a lower baseline for what you were non-dispense discretionary, which is the pot that President Biden funds woke programs out of. You would actually see an increase in defense spending. The other scenario is, is that you would actually fund government at 99%, so it would begin dropping down over the two years. So those are the two options under the legislation that's being contemplated here today. This is a reduction in spending. It is greater savings. And let me say it again, uh, Tony, we can go out there and go create a, a fifth or sixth imaginary option out there. They do not exist. If folks keep going down this dangerous path of pretending as though there are other options, what's going to happen is you're playing into the White House's hands. It's a dangerous game. They're going to end up either using the 14th Amendment that I don't think is constitutional, but would take the courts barring them. Uh, or number two, they're going to get moderates to go negotiate a clean debt seal. Oh, I, I, Neither I, I, of those are good options for us. We've got to choose the most conservative, which is the one that's on the table. But, but I, I understand that. But we're still dealing with a new baseline that is post-COVID, which was inflated, budgetary. I mean, you're a fiscal conservative. I mean, you, you, you deal with numbers. This is a, an inflated budget that was inflated by the emergency spending of COVID. And now that's part of the baseline of government funding, is it not? It, uh, Tony, it's, it's not a, a, a fair or an accurate assessment. Number one, we are rescinding $30 billion from federal agencies. Number two, and that's just from some of the COVID funding. We are rescinding probably going to result in tens of billions of dollars in rescissions from the IRS and this new army of, of IRS agents that President Biden is trying to push. We are decreasing the woke programs, the woke uh, uh, agencies, we are increasing spending on defense. But but look, overall, when you look at this charted out over the budget caps we have in place, the spending restrictions we have in place, it saves $2 trillion just in savings, budgetary savings, not to mention the savings from putting more stringent work requirements for welfare, the, the savings as a result of these new regulatory restrictions we're putting on the White House where they can't go out there and make unilateral decisions and spend money without the involvement of Congress. Um, we're starting the student loan payments again, which is four to five billion dollars per month. So, so look, this ultimately is the greatest savings in American history. Why people are out there and pretending like there's some other option, it's just disingenuous, Tony. The, the thing the, is, is that you have to negotiate with Senator Schumer. You have to negotiate with President Biden. We had him up against the wall. They got rolled over in these negotiations. There's nothing in here for Democrats. I understand. The savings, just to be clear, is that $2 trillion is over a 10-year period, correct? It is. All right. One final question. We're almost out of time, and I know you're really busy, so I appreciate you joining us as we're coming down to the wire on this. You were a key part of negotiating a uh, an agreement with the speaker's race back in January, which resulted in an unprecedented unity among... Uh, there's the music. We're almost out of time here. We're going to have to continue this conversation because... I'm, what's going to happen with that unity on the other side of, of this? Uh, very concerning because you were a key part of bringing the Republicans together. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Garrett Grace, thanks so much for uh, taking time to, to join us right in the middle of all of this. Thanks, Tony. All right. Congressman Garrett Graves of uh, Louisiana. Sorry we ran out of time there. All right, we're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, 
and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742 and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, a few uh, housekeeping items. The the House will be voting shortly on the uh, debt ceiling increase. And so if you want to weigh in with your member of Congress, there's still time to do so. The switchboard to the United States Capitol is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. That's the number to call just uh, if you know your member of Congress, you know their name, just say you want to speak to Congressman Graves, as I just did. And uh, if you don't know them, just give them your zip code and they can connect you. So, uh, so no worries. They can connect you with your member of Congress. And it's important that you weigh in and they, uh, they hear from you. This is a, it's going to be a tough vote for some members. I've spoken to, uh, to quite a few over the last couple of days that are um, really um, – tormented by this from a standpoint of concern that we don't have enough time to negotiate a better deal, but at the same time looking down the road where this is going to lead if we don't get our financial house in order. And I I tell you, I'm very concerned about these elevated levels of spending becoming the norm. And that's what's happening with this. We've accepted an additional $2 trillion, which was supposed to be emergency funding during covid to offset, you know, all of the, you know, the businesses that were shut down, the PPP funds, the um, vaccine research, all that stuff that was done, elevated. It was $2 trillion, and that's now become the new baseline. That's problematic, very problematic. All right, also, um, as I mentioned earlier, today is the last day for the early bird registration for the Prevote Stand Summit coming up September the 15th through the 17th, where you'll hear from national leaders, governors, former presidents, maybe former vice presidents, just to mention a few. Again, today's the last day for the early bird registration. So if you're a true conservative, you will register today so you can save money. Go to prevotestand.org and register. And one more item. Coming up this Saturday in Houston, Texas, will be our Stand Courageous Men's Conference. So if you live in the Houston, Texas area, you can uh, join us for the Stand Courageous Conference. General Boykin will be there. Uh, Former Fire Chief of Atlanta, Kelvin Cochran, Rafael Cruz, Bishop Larry Jackson, Stu Weber, and myself, along with others. 
So uh, make plans now. You can join us. Go to StandCourageous.com. Okay, corporate America's descent into woke madness has been a process years in the making. Right? It's just, it's like it's reached a crescendo. But the continued backlash, a sustained backlash against brands like Bud Light and Target has many asking, could we be nearing a tipping point? I believe we are. You know, even if corporate America does not revert to traditional conservative values, could this sustained backlash cause other brands to think twice before pushing an agenda or even choosing a neutral path? Joining me now to discuss this is Steve Sokup. He's the vice president and publisher of the Political Forum and the author of The Dictatorship of Woke Capital. Steve, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thank you for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. So we've seen the headlines involving Bud Light. I mean, they're down about 30 percent in their sales and uh, more recently Target. Tell us how this relates to your stakeholder theory. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, stakeholder capitalism uh, developed. The, the original stakeholder theory uh, was developed in the late 1960s, early 1970s as a way to help uh, business owners, as a way to help them uh, understand that there will be competing interests in running a business uh, and that it's their responsibility uh, to take care of and to listen to all of these competing interests in order to keep their uh, company afloat that sometimes customers and uh, the locality where you work might have conflicting interests. Occasionally, workers and customers might have conflicting interests. And the idea was to teach these business managers how best to deal with this. Uh, In in the late 1970s and the early 1980s, that shifted. uh, And it became uh, business theorists uh, took a more normative, a more ethical or moral uh, modeling approach uh, to uh, stakeholder capitalism, and they decided that what what needed to happen was for um, businesses to push a social purpose. Uh, and although that's been called stakeholder capitalism, that is what we understand as stakeholder capitalism uh, today, that generally uh, tends to pit businesses against their customers uh, in certain circumstances, as we're seeing with Bud Light Uh, And with Target, that the idea of making concessions to uh, social justice uh, stakeholders puts them in in real jeopardy with the stakeholders that matter, their shareholders and their capitalists, pardon me, and their customers. So when you look at what's happening with Target, Bud Light, as I mentioned earlier, I think we're at a a tipping point. I've not seen this type of sustained uh, backlash from customers. You know, this is not Target's first time to to wade into this. I mean, back in 2016, they opened up their dressing rooms to biological men to go into women's dressing rooms. You know, they and they, you know, they charged head on into it. And there was a little there was some pushback. But this seems to be different. I think America has had time to process all this transgender stuff, and they don't like what they see. This is much different than the earlier LGB, LGB or what a lesbian and, and, and the, the gay, the homosexuals. This is different with the transgender. This is, this is more than what, this is the bridge too far for many Americans. And so from your standpoint, are you seeing this in a different light? I mean, have we reached a new point? I, I think we have reached a new point, and I think you're correct that it, that it, it distinguishes the, the trans movement uh, from the gay and lesbian and bisexual movement uh, that was, you know, taken on earlier, uh, you know, decade, two decades earlier. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, uh, whom you may know as a openly gay, uh, conservative-ish uh, writer, uh, had a column just a couple weeks ago at making the case uh, that the trans movement is, in fact, about the erasure of gay men, gay women, and straight women, Uh, that is not about sexuality so much as it is about power. And I think that resonates with a lot of American people, that this is not about acceptance. This is not about diversity. This is, in fact, strictly about power. And and I think that a lot of Americans understand that and are reacting to that. So has this you know, this philosophy, the stakeholder theory, 
uh, that the many businesses have committed themselves to are are they uh, I mean are they stuck to this or do they not know how to get out of it because this clearly is not working out well for them when it comes to the trans movement. Well, in fact, a lot of them are stuck, uh, and part of it is the fact that they have made agreements uh, with uh, pressure groups like uh, the Human Rights Commission, which is uh, a you know a, a gay rights organization that pushes uh, a lot of this agenda. Uh, and if they push back at all, if they try and slow down uh, the advance of HRC's agenda, then they find themselves in trouble. What, what you're seeing with Bud Light right now, for example, is that Anheuser-Busch had a perfect rating from HRC uh, on their uh, in their annual ratings for how well they, they treat gay employees, gay uh, customers, etc. Uh, but simply by apologizing for the Dylan Mulvaney issue, uh, Bud Light is, or Anheuser-Busch is now going to suffer. They're going to have their ratings docked uh, by the HRC, and Target is at risk of having the same thing happen to them. Uh, Target has been one of the HRC's favorite corporations and a, and a, a financial sponsor of the HRC for years. Uh, but simply by reacting uh, to customers and doing what the customers act, ask, uh, Target is going to get dinged uh, by the HRC on their next ratings. And, and that's a real problem for some of these uh, corporate executives. They don't know how to handle this. They're really uh, in, in a difficult spot. So, Steve, they're going to get hit, hit, hit by both sides because they're they're dropping in their sales. And, and now they have the left, who they've been trying to appease, saying you haven't appeased us enough. And, and so we're going to ding you with our ratings. So let's talk just a moment. Um, what has been the financial impact on, on Bud Light? Talk about it in reality. What, what do those numbers mean? Well, that's a huge number. Uh, you know, I saw a, a story today or earlier today that said Bud Light is selling uh, or Anheuser-Busch is selling Bud Light for 14 cents an ounce that it's or 14 cents a can that they can't get rid of the stuff. Uh, you have distributors. Uh, franchise distributors who are turning in their franchise credentials because they can no longer make a living uh, distributing Anheuser-Busch products. It's not just Bud Light. It's other Anheuser-Busch products that are suffering, uh, and it's having an enormous impact. Uh, this is pretty much unprecedented in uh, American uh, consumer behavior, and it's really caught a lot of people off guard and has, has done a lot of damage to some of these companies. So Target. How's this? How's the pushback affected Target financially? Well, Target is is struggling as well. Target has had you know the, their roughest week in the markets in probably a decade. Uh, and, you know, shareholders are selling, uh, saying that we don't want to be a part of a part owner of a corporation that cares less about us than it does about pressure groups, uh, and, and so they're making uh, a move out of the Target stock, which is very. Uh, important and, and very destructive uh, to the Target name brand and and to the overall uh, its overall presence of the capital markets. So this is this has been really really problematic for them. So Steve, as we uh, move into June, which is a Pride Month, where we go into these stores and we see all the uh, the, the the rainbow flags and all the stuff, where increasingly we've seen these corporations in the face of their customers pushing this. Could some of those CEOs be stepping back a little bit and maybe kind of, uh, you know, downplaying some of that celebration? I, I think that a lot of them will probably be uh, very concerned about what's going to happen. Uh, again, they run the risk of, you know, dealing with Churchill's crocodile. You know, Churchill said that an appeaser is the last one, is the one that the crocodile eats last. Uh, and these people have spent the last several decades appeasing uh, a lot of activist groups, and if they step back from this, uh, they're going to get punished. Uh, you know, that's the crocodile is going to gobble them up. So I, I don't think that they have much hope of salvaging uh, this next month, that, you know, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. What do you see going forward? I mean, are we, again, going back a new era, a, a tipping point where people feel empowered to push back against corporations that are working in a way that is counter to their values? I mean, I think people would be happy. I know personally I would. If people just, look, if you make coffee, make coffee. If you, uh, you know, if you sell widgets, sell widgets. You know, don't get involved in all this stuff. Just just do business. Yeah, I, I think the public-facing uh, portion of, you know, what we 
what I've taken to calling woke capital uh, is, is really, uh, as you say, at a tipping point. Uh, the issue, of course, is going to be what happens behind the scenes, what happens in capital markets, what happens with asset management pressure on these corporations, what happens with uh, ESG rating services and, and all of the stuff that happens sort of behind the scenes. But yeah, I think that corporations are probably going to have to take a much more delicate approach uh, on the public facing aspects of this. I mean, when you take everything that's happening in totality, I mean, when you look at the the policies coming from this administration that is in line with a lot of these woke corporations, it looks like they're walking in lockstep where you've got the, the Biden administration pushing the transgender agenda through public education, through the health care systems. You know, people have just had enough. I, I think, you know, again, going back to the LGBTQ you know, those are those are letters that don't go together, actually. When you look at the competing interest of those groups, it, it's the only reason they're together is because they have a common enemy. But I think as people begin to realize that the, the transgender is a liability, I don't know if they're at a point where they can dump that from the LGBTQ, uh, but it's, uh, it's not something that the American people, I think, are warming up to. In fact, the more they see it and they see their children being indoctrinated with this and they see this being pushed in every store that they walk into, I think many people are fearful of what the future looks like. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's probably an accurate description, that uh, the aggressiveness uh, and the inflexibility of the trans movement has put a lot of people off, a lot of people who have otherwise been very supportive. Uh, it's a much more difficult case to make uh, that, you know, being transgendered is just like, you know, being anybody else. It's, it's a much uh, scientifically and socially, it's, it's a much more difficult case. And it, it makes uh, for a, a very difficult reckoning uh, for the movement, uh, which has been pushing very hard and really can't defend itself anywhere nearly as well as the gay and lesbian movement. So your advice, Steve, final word for you. I'll give you the final word. Your advice to uh, to businesses? Uh, my advice to businesses would be to eschew the entire woke capital ESG complex. Say, look, we're not playing that game anymore. We're not political. What we want to do is make the best widgets we can. We want to be the best business that we possibly can, do the best for our employees, do the best for our our customers, and especially do the best for our shareholders, uh, that they should be getting out of the game of politics altogether. Wow. What a, what a crazy idea, uh, actually, yeah. to, uh, to do business. That would be uh, interested, interesting and welcomed, too. Steve, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks. And by the way, we still have the uh, petition to Target. If you want to send a message to Target, simply text the word Target to 67742, 67742, the word Target. Add your voice to the thousands of others who are already saying, look, Target, quit cramming this stuff down my throat. And that's what they're doing. They're pushing their leftist agenda. Don't shop there either. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.